You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. With designs famously worn by former First Lady Michelle Obama, the Duchess of Cambridge, and actresses Helen Mirren and Kerry Washington, fashion designer Prabhu Garung has become a preeminent player in the American fashion world. This fall marks the 10th anniversary of his award-winning women's wear line and the publication of a book about his career. On November 15th, he sat down with Pulitzer Prize-winning fashion critic Robin Gavon to talk about his design philosophy and why he uses the runway as a platform for advocacy. Let's listen. Hi. Good. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, I'm Robin Gavon, and I'm the fashion critic for the Washington Post. And it is a pleasure to welcome you to this installment of A New Line. And I'm really thrilled to be with Prabal Garang, who is applause. <laughs> Thank you. You're forced to. <laughs> uh, this is his 10th anniversary in business, oh, which God. in fashion years, that's like 50 years in business. <laughs> Uh, and it also, to mark the occasion, he also uh, has a wonderful book about his career. Um, and he is also the honorary designer for uh, this year's gala at the American uh, Portrait Institute. And we'll get him to tell us what all that means and <laughs> all that business. Uh, but before we get started, I just want to uh, let you know and let our audience that's watching uh, from afar that uh, you can tweet questions uh, for Prabal to answer using the hashtag postlive and I will get to those uh, at the end of our conversation. Uh, but I thought I would start uh, at the beginning which <coughs> is um, a little bit about uh, your very interesting background <laughs> which is that you were born in Singapore yeah. and you grew up in Nepal and you worked in New Delhi. Yeah, and yeah. And then you came to New York. Yeah. And once you got to New York, you uh, also interned for Donna Karen and worked at Bill Blass. Yes. And then you launched your own line. That's a lot of assorted inspiration. Mm -hmm. What can you give us a sense of what pieces of that background have most, I think, influenced the way that you think about fashion? I think for me. Um all of it plays an equal, uh, some t uh, and every season it's different, but every place that I've been to, like, you know, and I consider, though I'm, I'm Nepali, I consider my heritage, I'm like from, from Nepal, but I lived in India for a longest period of time as well, and Singapore, London, and Australia before I came here. And, you know, it really taught me to look at the world slightly different. But how I always say is, if you really haven't been to Nepal or India, you don't look at colors, um, there's a certain part of your mind that hasn't worked. I always say that, you know. Because and I just went to India on vacation, so I can totally attest to the the onslaught of it color. Is. It's intense, whether it's the color, it's the texture, it's the smell, it's the sound, it's the celebration, it's the joy, you know. And I think, um, so I, that really had a uh, major influence on me, but my work, all of this, and you know, like my career, what I've done in 10 years, is an amalgamation of like, you know, that all of those coming, uh, uh, coming together and forming my own voice, pretty much. Well, one of the things that you have, have said is that um, 
you only ever really wanted to make clothes to make women look beautiful, mm -hmm. that you don't chase this idea of cool. Yeah. What did you mean by that? You know, um, <clears throat> when I, after working at Bill Blass, where I would say that was the first, I mean, I, the, the American couture house, I would say, you know, the way that the seamstresses were from like, let's say, Ungaro, Chanel, and Valentino, and the tailors were from Ferragamo, and in Armani. My real training happened there. And um, what I realized was, you know, um, the kind of clothes that I wanted to make needed a little more studying, a little more, I would say, time, little, needed a little more, uh, it was a lot more nuance in making of the clothes. Mm -hmm. I also decided to make majority of the clothes in New York. And uh, so at, at that place, you know, though when I launched, um, the industry was about um, contemporary fashion, cool designers, you know, like like big parties, all that stuff. And I, it was in the midst of a recession as well. Which, which was, <laughs> which, yes. And a lot of people had told me not to do it, but I decided to do it, and I was like, if it doesn't work out, I'll blame it on recession, you know? <laughs> <laughs> mm. So for me, um, I really, I wanted to make beautiful clothes. I wanted, what I realized early on was, you know, I was brought up by a single mother who worked. And she would come home after work and she'd have events to go to. And I'd watch her, like, and she'd come back from work, she'll change into her saris and everything, and she'll put it right in front of the mirror, like, and she'll stop doing her makeup, put on her jewelry, and put on a red lipstick and walk away. And I was just fascinated by the woman who walked in and the woman who walked out. Mm -hmm. Though she was my mother, like, how it could change. And the confidence that she felt, you know, when she walked out. And I realized, I wanted to capture that essence when I created something that is about celebration of beauty rather than cool. Because, you know, cool fades, mm -hmm. beauty remains. You know, so that's, that's what I feel. It's timeless. As, as a designer and as a business person, how do you then sort of negotiate when the, when the in industry almost as a whole sort of shifts towards one idea. Yeah. You know, when the industry suddenly says, ah, athleisure is yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. And you're over here making beautiful clothes. <laughs> how, do, how do you balance those two things? Um, you know, like, here's the thing. It's, um, how do you balance? There are two ways, uh, several ways you know, to balance it. One without is, going out of business. And, yeah, exactly, without <laughs> going out of business. One is you continue to do what you do because there's always an audience for you. I always believe not ev there might be, like, for instance, for you, like, you know, you, there might be a moment in your day that you might want to wear, like, let's say, athleisure stuff, you know, and versus there might be a time in, during your day that you might need to wear a beautiful dress, you know. And, and I, I realize that I don't need to cater to every need of hers. You know, I want to cater to a specific need for her. And um, so that was one aspect of it. The second aspect was, you know, while the industry was in this athleisure trend, and I said, you do a collaboration. That's what I did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it also seems like in some ways you are not a full believer in the idea of lifestyle fashion in the sense that, uh -huh. you know, so many designers use lifestyle as a way of essentially saying, I want to design everything for everyone. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like you want to design for a specific part of someone's life. Yeah, I mean, you know, here's the thing. I mean, like, I'm more about a mindset than a lifestyle, you know? And what I mean by that is I celebrate the essence of a woman, I celebrate the essence of a man. Like, I'm not necessarily trying to um, please everyone and be everything to everyone, you know? That means you really can't do justice 
um, I, I think it's virtually impossible to. And so for me, what I wanted to do, I, you know, I'd read somewhere like, if you and if you try to please everyone, you end up pleasing no one, and including yourself, right? So I knew what I was good at, and I knew what my story was going to be. Um, you know, when I started my career, um, almost ten years or more than ten years ago, there were two kind of women in fashion. That was like you know, one a woman who. If she was serious, she didn't care. I mean, if she was intellectual. She didn't care she didn't care about fashion. Mm -hmm. If she, you cared about fashion, you were frivolous. That was the idea, right? However, for me, just around, being surrounded by women, whether including my mother, all these women that have you know uh, been in my life, they all have their jobs. They are very driven. They're ambitious. They're successful, and they also care about style. And I found it like really in kind of like amazing that there was these two set of ideas. So when I launched in fall 2009, what I said was, you know, some Minal Mystery was the one who asked me, who is this girl? And I said, uh, I hadn't thought about it, but I was like, you know, it's a thinking man's sex symbol. You know, and she was like, what do you mean? I was like, it's this idea that, you know, those two women and those two ideas is not mutually exclusive. You know, it can come together because, and that's what it is. At the end of the day, my job as a designer is to make sure, make beautiful clothes, try to make as beautiful as I, I can, and um, make a woman feel um, beautiful in that particular moment. Because what I have to keep in mind, I always feel, I always imagine this, you know, in our day-to-day -day lives, I feel more than men, women multitask 100 times more, right? And, and they, I always feel like that, let's say one hour of getting dressed, it's a particular quiet moment with herself. You know, there's a dress hanging there, hopefully mine, you know, <laughs> in, the, in, in the bathroom, and she's getting ready. I imagine that she's getting ready, and you know, she's putting on music, she's putting on her makeup, does that, that, and you know, that. That's such a much more sedate morning than <laughs> I usually have. Well, I didn't, I didn't say the time of okay. the day, you know. <laughs> she could be going out on a date or not, you okay. know, like, you know, date with herself. And, um, and, you know, I felt like that particular moment, I want, I always, cherish in some subconscious way being part of that moment with her. And at that point when you were launching the collection, was the word feminist <laughs> in your mind? Yeah. Because it's, it has become yeah. really almost the, the essence of your brand. Yeah, it has always been. You know, I was um, brought up by a single mother who was divorced in, in Nepal. And at that time in Nepal, di like being divorced was unheard of. It was not accepted. So just imagine the trouble and the you know, struggle that she went through. I grew up with a mother who always said to us, one thing was like, you know, we are, um, we are three of us, three children she has. She said, I want to make sure that my children are not burdened to this planet. And I want to make sure that they are. And she always said, Try to you know do the right thing and don't be afraid to speak up against injustice. And she was I before I even understood what feminism or feminist was. She was the first person I saw right. And from day one, it, I have been talking about femininity with a bite, like uh, the celebration of. I always felt um, a woman in her full feminine glory, and I witnessed it, is is so unnerving to patriarchy. You know, and I've seen that happen, you know, and it, it really unnerves. And so I've always looked at that as like the biggest strength, one of the biggest strengths mm. for women, just to embrace it, you know. And, um, and before it was even popular, I remember like in the early on when I talked about whether it's a singing man's sex symbol or a celebration of women in position of power, a lot of people in fashion and outside we used to be, oh, you're a fashion designer. 
make clothes, you know, right. and and I, well, I remember, can I just yeah. can I quote can I quote you back to yeah. you? You said uh, a while ago when I interviewed you that quote fashion is not the land of the stupids. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't know, sometimes it could be the bubble of the uninformed. <laughs> or or if you look at the politics right now. We can apply to Let's that too. Let's just go there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can apply that to the what's happening right now as well. So, you know, I think um, fashion is, um, I would say, it's a highlight of the world. You know, like what happens, you know, what you see. And we, um, and we know oftentimes the fashion industry really gets bad rep uh, for, you know, because what the world sees is the 10% of glamour and uh, fabulousness. But the real work happens in 90% of the time behind the scenes. It's an industry driven by minorities, uh, LGBTQ members, uh, you know, people of uh, color, uh, women, um, immigrants, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of them undocumented, you know, and it's an industry driven by that. And so I find, it very, I find the complexities involving that, I find it really fascinating. Um, so, you know, yes, it is true what you sometimes read about fashion and the, the fabulousness and, you know, a lot of the stupids, yes. I mean, how, I mean, how do you wrestle with that, with all of that, all of what that entails, though? Because, uh, you're, you know, you're absolutely right about fashion is, in fact, uh, an industry populated by immigrants mm -hmm. and people of color and women. Um, and often they're at the really, they get the short end of the stick. Of course. Um, and fashion presents the image of glamour. I mean, so when And lately inclusive and diverse. And diverse, yeah. right. But when you yeah. step out on that limb and say, and start speaking up, um, what do you then become sort of the the agitator in the industry how, how do your peers respond um when i okay now it's it's a different story as we all know mm -hmm. like, you know when i started speaking up it wasn't because i my okay let me put it this way so my company is um, you know self-financed independently owned and so i own the company um, i have an, um, another partner there so it allows us the freedom to do the right thing, okay? Oftentimes when you have investors, partners, you know, you're answerable to all of them. So how I re react is uh, my job as, uh, I came to America, Let me, I came to America to become a designer because I had this passion for it. And after paying my dues and everything, I've come where, I've reached wherever I have. Along the way, I've gained some kind of notoriety and audience uh, some kind of following. What I always felt was, you know, all that attention, all that stuff that's coming my way, it just can't be for myself. I have to use uh, this platform for something that's better other than myself and other than myself, though I do love those, just so that you know, you know, <laughs> you, know you know that. And, and, uh, and um, so you, you can know, follow him on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you make sure it's, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and, you know, I wanted to, um, I don't know, I just completely lost a chain of thought, sorry. <laughs> this is what happens. Yeah, this, no. Every time I, we are sitting down and having this conversation, I'm trying to have a serious conversation here, but every time we sit down, we're just like laughing about it. Sorry well, about I, I, will, I will quote, I will again quote you back to yourself because I thought this was a really, um, I thought this was quite interesting. And, and you were talking about diversity 
uh, and that uh, diversity on the runway, inclusiveness in your business is in many ways connected to the people that you hang out with. Mm -hmm. And you had said, you have to ask yourself, is it all similar looking people? Change doesn't come from staying in your safe space. I always say, I cannot be the only person of color at your dinner party. Mm -hmm. How challenging is it to... Say that? Well, to say it, yes. And to, it is, it and is. to deal with the reaction that Came, I know you've gotten from... Yeah, horrible. I mean, like, and you know it, you know, it's... Um, I always knew this. Um, I was very clear about my intention, my integrity, and my uh, what I wanted to say. Um, it was not for me. It was for a bigger, bigger cause, bigger good, bigger movement. I always believed that it was not about me. So when I decided to speak up, when I decided to call out, or like, or like, just have it. My goal was to let's have a conversation, let's have a dialogue. We are constantly talking about wanting to make a change in fashion. We want to make a change in um, the industry and the world. Uh, we talk about diversity and inclusion, and then all of a sudden, your decision-making table looks just the same. The status quo remains the same. The, and whereas these bigger companies, you know, what they do is the front office is all colorful. You know, the, the, the wait staff, the front desk and all that stuff, so that it looks colorful and diverse. The decision-making table is the same. And I always say, till it is more than 50% uh, minorities and people of color and women, the change is not going to happen. That is the reality. So I decided, to, I, mean, I keep on having this conversation at the risk of being unpopular because I really didn't care. I really didn't, it's, I, I'm very, how do you say, without sounding arrogant, I'm, I would say, if tomorrow you pointed, you know, said, okay, no, you probably, these are your flaws, this is what's wrong with you, I probably agree with you because I probably would know that, you know? So I'm very sure about myself in terms of the path that I've taken. Um, and so you are going to be unpopular, people are going to be, but I don't worry about that because I'm not here, you know, and it's also like, when I speak up and there's, if there are people who don't like what I'm saying, it's probably they're never going to be in your universe. They're not ever going to see you, you know, and I, uh, people who really see me and people who really care about all these human issues completely embrace me and have a dial, uh, in a, we can have this, that conversation. So that's how I look at it, you know, it's, um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, it's, it, and it's, it's, that's life. It's good and bad, it all comes together. Is it scary sometimes as a business person? I mean, to, to say things that are provocative uh, in the context I'm of I'm just trying to figure out, like, what industry. have I said that's so provocative? Well, <laughs> and, and, yeah. and then yeah. to have people say, well, wait, you're not perfect. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. you know, what about your house? Is your house perfect? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we live in an era of social media yeah, of and cancel culture yeah. and no room for mistakes. Yeah. So how do you brace yourself for that? So I, how I look at it is this. I, I always believe um, I've never been afraid of um, confrontation because confrontation results to discussions. Discussions result to resolution. Okay, that's what I've always believed. If, I, if somebody feels like you know, what I'm doing is not right, and I, I'm more than happy to have that conversation. I'm, una I'm unafraid to have that. Um, and you know, like, uh, like, you know, like, there, yeah, there is a thing, the truth about the cancel culture, like, you know, how it can be toxic. But at the end of the day, I always feel like the world is having a uh, reckoning and awakening 
finally, right? Because of social media, yes, there's a lot of backlash in there, but also the good things are happening, okay? So how I look at a lot of these stuff, like and even if I'm called out or like someone else, it's a question about accountability. There are a lot of angry people, and their anger is not unfounded. There's a reason why. They've been behind the scenes. Their voices have not been heard. This is the first time with the, I mean, you know, as we, like, as we know in life, not everything is 100% great or 100% bad. There's a gray areas. I just like, in so many ways, I do love the world that we're living right now where we are able to have this conversation, difficult conversation, especially in our industry and in fashion, mm -hmm. where you know, I remember, like, as I said, like, I would talk about it, um, and you know, I would be, like, I would be, people would ask me to shut up, you know, but now, I'm so glad, to, including, there's things like this. I mean, my whole activism thing, I think, came in the forefront um, while I was doing it back home in Nepal, almost eight years ago when I started my foundation mm -hmm. back home in Nepal. I started simply because there was this uh, Fashion Week Daily, you know, the daily news, and the magazine had come out. Mm -hmm. It was my collection, and, and it was my picture, and it said, A Star is Born. You know, while it was great for my, like, you know, brand and everything, I called my brother and my sister, and I, my brother lives in Mumbai, my sister's in Nepal, and I said, listen, all this good stuff is happening, and I'm going to start to believe this hype, you know? I'm going, I'm going to think that I'm like the, the it one, you know? So, let's, <laughs> so I was just like, so why don't we start um, our foundation back home in Nepal that we want, always wanted to do it? So we started with 12 girls. And, these, and then now we've gone to 300 children. And this is, these are inmates' children, street workers' children, orphans there. And then we started, recently we started the education. You support them in education? In education, full education, till they get graduate and get a job. And um, we started this in education initiative for female prisoners back home in Nepal. And because we believe in second chances. And uh, we started like building shelters, building clinics. In eight years, we've been able to impact more than 50,000 lives, right? So this is something that I'd always done. I never talked about it too much. And then came um, a collection that I did um, that my own personal hero, uh, Gloria Steinem, you know, who, um, because- Who came to her first what? fashion show, yeah, which knew. was yours. Yes, I was, I, I did still, thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you, no, thank you very much. I mean, that moment, that mo that's the thing. Those are like those few moments that was like better that. than Kim Kardashian? I love Kim. I love Kim. Don't let's not talk. I'm, I'm just asking. <laughs> I love better than no, Kim Kardashian. I love Kim because when her, um, uh, the contour makeup came thing, so she sent it to me. So, so I was just like literally, I was like doing my contour and everything, and I was just like, and I texted and I said, oh my god, this is really good. It is really good, just so that you know, you know. So anyway, going back to Gloria Steinem. So again, we need, we, that's what I'm saying. We need Gloria Steinem. We also need and, and contouring. It's so very important. We all know that. We, I had zero idea about it. All of a sudden, right. my, my mom. All like, of us in our full glory. Yeah, and all of a sudden, my mom is like why do you look different in pictures than in real life? <laughs> and my mom is the one who always calls me out, and I was like, no, mom, I think you, I think you need glasses. You know, that's why it's always like. Um, but going back to that Gloria Steinem thing, Reno, and it was the collection that was, I was inspired by, and I did that collection, and you know, it was very subtle and nuanced and everything. And the same year was when Maria Grazia um, at Dior did mm -hmm. it, uh, we, we should all be feminist. 
And then it was really talked about. So what, what hit me really at that time was like, I've been doing this and very quietly and subtly. And you know, and sometimes what I realized, that was the time when I realized, and sometimes in fashion during fashion show, things need to be spelled out. Nuances are not always the, uh, caught in a runway or, or you know, when people are taking like, you know, like videos, you know what I mean? Um, so that was that. And right after that was the election, you know, when, um, you know, our, uh, Hillary Clinton won the, was actually, the, I mean, won the presidential race. And, but you know, the system like, you know, happened the other way around. And you know, we all felt the collective loss. We felt a collective loss because for me personally, besides who she was, what she rep represented, you know, uh, for the first time there was going to be a woman present. And especially for me in a personal way, it really resonated the possibility of her becoming that because when my sister got married uh, and, you know, went, um, in that house, at that time they were very orthodox in a way. and, and, and Patriarchy ruled, right? And and now it's, things have changed. At the time, there were there were arguments and all those discussions. And somebody, an elder person, said, "Look at country like America. There's there still ha they don't have a female president. What are you talking about women's rights? You know?" And that was like something that really res like had in deep inside of me. So when she, the possibility of her was happening. Um, was a big moment for all of us. And not just for the, personally that way, but for the industry. When it didn't happen, I realized there was a, such a sense of collective loss there. And I wanted to talk about um, that, not just politics, but about human issues. Because what was being discussed at that time in politics was something that I was completely shocked, like, you know, whether, um, against LGBTQs, women's, all women's rights, all of that stuff, you know? And um, so I did that t-shirt collection and I made sure that there was one, you know, I made sure that I uh, gave credit to Maria Grazia for the idea, you know, there was all of that stuff. And that set me, that's when people were like, oh, you're an activist. And I said, like, I've always, and I said, oh, at that time, everyone in the company was like, are you sure you want to be this political and everything? And I, and I thought about it and I was like, you know, these are not political issues, these are human issues. Did it? Did you get um, backlash from retailers? Because I don't. I don't think that people realize how um, how much of a leap it is for designers to yeah. take a political position. Because other designers have reported or have talked about, you know, going out and speaking their mind and literally having retailers cancel collections. You know, I fortunately for me. Um, the retailers, I think everyone felt that. Like in every, every, uh, all of them, the majority, I mean, almost all of them were like very supportive mm -hmm. of it. There were, um, the disappointment was between the two stores who wanted to do the window display, and that was the five who wanted the exclusive. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I mean, I hate that game, you know? And so, uh, so that was the- So your timing was good. Uh, yeah, you know, it's- People were yeah, ready for it. People, yeah, they were. And I didn't, re and I said at the time, I was like, you know, I literally didn't even think anybody would want these t-shirts. You know, I just wanted to make a statement because as you know, behind every collection there's a storyline, you know, and I wanted to be able to tell this story. But the minute that happened, everybody wanted it. At there, now there've been a lot of feminist t-shirts. Mm -hmm. what, what do you do beyond the t-shirt? Mm -hmm. Because I know, I mean, I have been, um, you know, I've written about how at a certain point, the t-shirt is nice, yeah. but selling, you know, a $200 t-shirt, mm. what is this, how does that move anything forward? Here's the thing, this is, um, 
think about pre-t-shirts, right? Mm -hmm. What fashion was, where we really didn't talk about um, politics and uh, all this stuff. I mean, you know, at least based on the reviews that you guys write, right? You know, I would read everything. Probably, uh, you know, subtle nuance one was m probably Mutual Prada. You know, had a little bit of conversation about that, you know, all that stuff. But fashion really n never delved in that. And so now, post that, I look at it, yes, T-shirts, you know, it was a conversation starter, like I've moved on from it, you know, and uh, a lot of designers have moved on, but it set the stage for a new designers and all of us to start really thinking about, all right, how are we doing this besides T-shirts, for instance, you know, that's where my foundation became even more, when we decided to uh, do this education initiative for female prisoners, it was after that, you know. In some ways, could you argue that then, you know, this administration, and I mean, you were one of, you know, designers who talked about whether or not they would or wouldn't uh, address the current first lady. You addressed uh, Mrs. Obama. Um, has it been good in the sense that it has brought this conversation out into public into public spaces? The thinnest silver lining, right? <laughs> Let's be real, the thinnest, the tiny, like the sliver yeah. of silver lining is that. I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I can't, the, the damage that has been done mm -hmm. is, um, you know, monumental. Like, I mean, I'm like so gigantic that, um, um, you know, I mean, I can't even like be like, oh yeah, it's been great. But yeah, the reality is people are, people feel it, people are less afraid to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And- um, Has it made you a better designer in some regards? Yes. You know, what, what really, I'll tell you this, it was on almost um, three or four years into my career, um, I sat down with Dionne von Furstenberg, she'd come to Nepal, mm -hmm. and you know, we'd hung out, she met my mom and everyone, and I d did dinner for her, and then she came back and she invited me. She's kind of spectacular. Uh, she, right? I mean, she's phenomenal, yeah, she you know. Is. She invited me to her place and I, we had lunch, and she said, you know, don't be afraid to embrace your heritage. You know, go full on, go full on board. Mm -hmm. And who you are, and, and, and she knew the story, like, you know, my mom's and all that stuff, and then she was like, this is who you are, just go for it. And because before that, I was like in very subtle nuances only, mm -hmm. and, that's when I fully embraced it, you know? And so, it, so that was one starting point for me. The other, after the pol uh, all this um, stuff that's happening in politics and culture, it made me really aware of like, you know, about representation, visibility. There was a time, I still remember when the, in the beginning, it used to be when we used to cast models, it used to be, all right, you have two Asian girls, you have one black model, you're good. That was the conversation. and. I was new in the game, you know, and I wasn't like, like you know, this crazy, <laughs> like, you know, like this confident <laughs> at that time. And I was just like, okay, like, and I fall, I decided to follow the rules of like what that had been written. And, um, and after a while, I was just like, no. So I decided to really take matters in my hand and I said, this is how I wanted to. My dinner table, my personal dinner table looks colorful. People of different ages, sizes, race, everyone, and gender, and why can't my runway look like that? And that's when I decided. I sat down, I changed you know, my casting directors, and, and I had this conversation. This is what I want the world to look like. This is what I want it to be. You know? And we changed it, and it affected it. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, that's, I mean, 
fashion has a long way to go. I mean, even like my plus size thing that I did, mm -hmm. you know, like one of the things I still remember, we were, I was in a diversity panel and everyone was talking about, you know, diversity on a runway, models and everything. And there was this um, curvy woman who's raised her hand and said, you guys are talking about race, what about plus size? And the leader of our diversity panel said, oh, we'll get to you. It really bothered me. I was just like deep down, I just looked at it. I was like, I see you, but I, I don't have anything that I've done to tell you, yeah, I see you. You know, when I started my launch, uh, uh, my, my first collection, you know, we offered it to size 22 and up. Okay, no retailers were buying it. My first, um, you know, I had several private clients from Bill Bass of like certain sizes. I never saw that. My first, you know, commission of a celebrity was Oprah Winfrey. Mm -hmm. You know, and I loved, and I came to America because of her, to be completely honest, you know. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I'm not kidding, and I know you it sounds. You said that you, you know, watched, it is so true. Because you know, I traveled, yeah, I've traveled everywhere and everything, and I remember going back home to Nepal, and I turned on the television, and we were not encouraged to watch television. You know, we were, okay, you need to read, so we read a lot. One day I turned on the television. Oprah's Book Club? It wasn't there <laughs> then, it wasn't then, yeah. This is in Nepal. And I turned on, it was Phil Donahue, and I had zero idea who he was at that time. And then right after that was Oprah. And I remember watching her show about living your dreams and taking risks and all that stuff. And I remember turned to my sister and I was like, you know, I want to give it a shot in America. I've traveled everywhere. I've never been there. And um, I want to come here. And I, and, and I applied to Parsons and I got through, you know. So, um, I was going somewhere, sorry, like it's like- Well, you were going to the tale of Oprah. Mm. So, did I tell you? The first commission. Her? Yeah, yeah, so my commission. Yeah. So, in, in terms of like, you know, so I always saw, I, I, I keep on And saying, what was Oprah like? Oh, she was amazing. So she, you know, I think I can see this. Yeah. So she flew me to Chicago and we fitted that and, and, and I was like trying to be very cool. Yeah, I zipped her in, okay, this is great, you know, just very calm. And then she said, how did we find you? And I started telling the story, and I was just like, literally, I'm going to cry, I feel like. You know, I started crying, and she started crying, and I was just like, you know, it was the most, um, you know, for me early on, I, Robin, you have to understand, like, when I, when I decided to launch my business in fall 2009, it was deep in recession. I had a great job at Bill Blast. Mm -hmm. I had savings. I took a leap of, everyone had said, don't do it. I felt in my heart that it was the right time, you know, that I had something to say. So I went on, uh, I had a savings, I moved from big apartment to small apartment in East Village, right in front of, uh, mm -hmm. in front of Hell's Angels. And, um, and, and I went on unemployment, you know, and that, that's the great thing about American government, you know. And I went on unemployment and um, I went on a lot of dates, just to, <laughs> just to get I, dinner. <laughs> The, I mean, yes, yes, <laughs> I, I'm trying to be like, you know, I was very, no, no, it is true. Like, so I went on a lot of, so I might have, I might have gathered and acquired a little bit of bad karma there, you know, because, um, so I had to, it was like, listen, it was like literally, I didn't want to call up my family and be like, oh, can you send me money? They've always spent so much money on education and all that stuff. I was like, I'm going to do this, you know, and so. That, that's how I started my thing, right? So going back to, sorry, this is going back to, this started with the plus size thing. Like, you know, this is, yeah. So I'm just like. Well, I like the way it's going. And it's, it's going everywhere. So, so imagine having dinner with me or drinks with me. It is, you, you won't be able to catch up. Like, I'll be like talking about this year, the year. This. Normally, I have, my chain of thought is like very much like that. But today's not a normal day. And so 
So back to Oprah. No, no, back to, no, no. You are yeah. you are you are the one who's like causing me. No, no. Sorry. Okay, so no, but. Um, the, the reason I'm telling you this story is even with the plus size, right, is it was a conversation that people were not uh, willing to have. I still remember. And after that panel happened, I came back and I was on my way home on um, West 4th and right in front of 6th Avenue, and it was the day of Victoria's Secret show. And all those models are my friends, so we were texting, Joan, everyone is like, congratulations, amazing, da-da. And I sat down and I was thinking, you know, my God, like we still... Like, I love these girls, and I, I know how hard they work, but what about the other kind of beauty? Because I, I deeply know what it feels like to be not seen, not to see anyone who looks like you and, and, and being celebrated, you know, or desired. Right at that time, Lane Bryant came with, like, the um, I'm no angel bus, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, then came, and that hit me, and I called up my office, and I said, I want to set up a meeting with Lane Bryant. I want to do a collaboration. We, did a, uh, had, we had a meeting and they were like really excited about it and I gave them saying, I wanna do the shoot with the best photographer, best model, and I want it to be in pages of Vogue because this girl deserves. And so we shot with Inez and Vinod, Ashley Graham, and we got pages of Vogue. And then someone half-jokingly uh, no, yeah. no, no, so, said so to you, oh, a, you're uh, designing for fat people now. Yeah, no, she said, why, no, she said, in front of everyone, she said, why are you designing for fat girls, fat people? Like, why are you? Because, you know, at that time, at the time, what at the time? Still, like, you know, it's so... Um, How long ago was that? This was, I would say, probably like five years ago, five, six years. And, and she said that in front of everyone. I said, it's because of people like you that I want to do it. That's what I said, you know? And obviously, and then she saw my face. She was like, oh, I was just joking. And I just said this. So I said, you know, there's nothing funny about that. And, and, do, you, and do you think that's changed? It still hasn't, you know, like my thing with, here's the thing, in any industry that has been led by patriarchy, I don't want it to be like, I want to be very like, you know, PC about this. Um, the conversation about diversity, visibility, inclusion, size, everything is, is still a topical conversation. It's still, there's a long way to go, especially our industry. You know, we keep on making mistakes because the decision-making table looks the same. And I feel, yes, the conversation is being had. Yes, you know, there are, uh, and I'm happy about that. But the progress is at snail's pace. It's so well, slow. Well, you touched quite a nerve at a, a dinner party I, uh, when someone had said to me that one of the things that you essentially put out there on the table was that so much of the conversation about diversity and inclusiveness and just sort of breadth of customer within the fashion industry is defined by gay white designers. <laughs> Did and I say that? You said that. <laughs> and practically the entire table recoiled. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> Basically, this is a hot seat. I thought it was it's like, no, 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 I mean, it is true. Like, you know, here's the thing. It is also, I don't know how to, unless you're a minority, um, and I'm not just talking about race, I'm talking as women as including here, you know, um, you'll understand what it feels like to be slighted, what it feels like to be not seen, not heard, okay? In fashion, for the longest period, if you think about what we think is chic, 
Okay, when you say, when you look at a collection, oh, the color is chic, um, oh, the pattern is chic, the shape is chic, yeah. it's very much dictated by the white world. Let me just put it that way, you know? It is very much dictated by the century-old um, tastemakers that has history in, it's very Eurocentric. Even the features, like even within the Asian community, like, you know, um, when we look at like models and oh, like, you know, anything that is like, like, like we say, like half Asian, half white, you know, or like we call it hapas, you know, and um, uh, anything that is closer to that, the spectrum of, you know, whiteness is considered beautiful. It, it comes to style also. Like I remember I was in a panel, like, you know, judging like uh, new designers and everything, and I remember this beautiful um, African-American, um, African print, not African-American, African print, colorful and everything. And I, it really resonated with me because there was a story there, right there. I didn't know who the designers were. But the other panels were immediately like, oh, it's so tacky. And I looked at them and I said, you haven't seen colors. You really don't understand. So what I'm trying, it's not so much about blaming someone or like, you know, I'm just, what I'm trying to start a conversation is like, travel, See the different cultures, different world. The, the head wrap, what you thought was like, oh, it's crazy, is actually quite beautiful. It, there's a symbol behind it. The sari that you know, women in Nepal wrap around and the shawl that they wrap around their you know, waist, it's not, oh, it's, oh, they, it's not adding bulk. There's a purpose behind it. There's a grace behind it. There's a history and there's a story behind it. So my conversation is not so much about calling people out. It's literally about starting a dialogue, starting a conversation, because I've traveled a lot and I see all of us function with the one simple notion that we want to be seen, we want to be validated, that we want to feel that we matter. That's all it is, whether you're in fashion, whether you're in politics, whatever you do. And that is the guiding factor for me. That is the guiding light for me about what I do. Because at the end, I always say, the absolute truth about our life is the impermanence of it. We all have to go one day. You know, that's no denying that. What we leave behind, big or small, you know, is what we need to think about. And for me, I always said this, you know, even if I can make a smallest, smallest dent in the industry that I'm in. And you know, make people look at fashion differently and look at, and not look at, look at fashion, not just as a place of like, you know, beautiful clothes and everything, but there's a substance behind it. You know, I would consider that a job well done. That was always my driving factor, you know? So yeah, got really serious. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, as I had said earlier, that 10 years is practically uh, 50 years <laughs> yeah. in, in fashion, I hope in I fashion have terms. Still. <laughs> you don't look a day over one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, but so much has changed since mm. you started. Yes. Uh, particularly in the realm of where people go to, to purchase clothes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, rest in peace, Barney's. Yeah. Uh, you have colleagues who have been in business longer yeah. who are retract contracting yeah. and closing down I mean what what do you look to in the next 10 years yeah. as the biggest hurdles the biggest challenges I, I think um, definitely scaling for any small business especially a business like mine which is as I said independently owned self-financed you know what the does, did Barney's closing is that like a significant blow to you or just one that you'll endure? One that I will endure, for sure, you know. Um, when, 
when you're in a creative person and happen also happen to be an entrepreneur and like a business side of it, you start making decisions that, um, you know, as a creative person, you want to spend gazillion dollars in a collection, right? The business side of it has to be no, no, you can't, you know. So you play with that. Um, it is. It takes up. Like, and I, I mean, a lot of my time doing that, but you know, it has helped me get to where I am today. Um, it is. What's happening, it's, it's the reality, you know, in terms of like whether it's Barney's other, or other designers closing their um, uh, houses and everything. But it's always related to, I feel like, more often than not, when there's a right, wrong partnership, wrong investors, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I think, so that's where I feel like we all have to look at what does success mean to us? For someone, it is $4 billion. Some, for someone, it could be $4 million. You know, someone, it could be 40. So you have to define your own idea of success. So that's when I, and it goes back to your, one of your first questions. I didn't care about being the it designer because I wanted to do it in my own pace. I wanted to do everything in my own pace, which means, so my business is, you know, primarily driven by wholesale. There's a little bit of e-com and a lot of private clients, you know. Mm -hmm. So I've been able to um, grow that uh, very gradually and slowly. And it has been really, um, actually, you know, quite, fruitful for me, you know. Um, I, I want to be, trust me, and you know this, you know, um, ambition is there, desire is there um, be, uh, to reach large numbers of people simply because how I look at fashion, what I do is I, with my clothes, with my runway, with all these beautiful clothes, I entice people. And my goal is to like, you know, come into my world, you're welcome, come into my world, and then I want to have conversation about that people, like fun, fun, happy, frivolous conversation, but also conversation about, you know, really substantive conversation that matters the culture. So that's my goal, right? So if I can reach in a larger uh, audience, that would be amazing. Well, perfect segue. Okay, I'm gonna ask an audience question because we're running out of time and I don't want anyone to revolt. Um, so the, the first one here actually is um, an interesting one. Which fashion designer, living or deceased, has been your biggest inspiration? Um, Yves Saint Laurent. Yves Saint Laurent. It's one <laughs> you know, not um, Saint Laurent. Not Saint Laurent. Like, you know, Saint Laurent, I mean, I mean, I like Saint Laurent for like, you know, what, what they said. I mean, it's fun mm -hmm. because and, you know, they're all like friends with colleagues. But Yves Saint Laurent for me has so many memories. Like uh, the first lipstick that I saw of my mom's was that. You know uh, the perfume, and um, and then when I started looking at his collection, what he did, he did like such beautiful, glamorous clothes. But at the same time, it was also practical, and he really understood women. And I thought, I truly believe he saw women, um, regardless of like in different kind of women, and they, he considered them all beautiful. You know, and that's what I thought was like really powerful about him. I think he was probably one of the first designers at that time to use a lot of uh, black models. Yeah. You know, and and not because of just that. It, there's so many things about Islam um, that it resonates with me. So I love him. Perfect. Yeah. Well, I would like to say thank you very much for doing thank this. It's okay. been an absolute pleasure. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you will be the honorary designer at yes. the Portrait Gala. So congratulations Thank you very on that much. again. Uh, and uh, an entire video of this will be on, hang on, hang on, WashingtonPost.com slash post live. <laughs>
and please join us in the reception area for a book signing. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.